Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, my name is Josh Stratt. If I haven't met you yet, I serve as a lead pastor. And man, what a great weekend we are having uh, here this weekend. We had our children from Kids Coast lead us in worship. Did they do a great job? I'm telling you what. I don't know if our worship leaders are gonna have to step up their game if they want job security. That was pretty, pretty awesome. And then the young lady, Caroline, who did the welcome here at this campus, I know it's happening at all of our campuses. Just a great, great weekend. And I wanna welcome all of you who are joining us at other locations, or maybe you might be on the internet or uh, watching from the chapel. We are glad that you guys are with us as well. And uh, before we jump into the, the message this weekend, I wanna mention that uh, if you are new to Seacoast, you may not realize this, but one of the things that we do, part of our DNA, part of what we do with missions is we plant churches. Uh, we, we, a portion of every dollar that comes in goes towards church planting. And there's a couple of new churches that I wanna mention to you that are launching. One of them is Cali Life Church. That's a great name for a church in Santa Monica, California. Uh, Cali Life Church planting this weekend. You've got Freedom House Church is launching a Lake Norman campus up in the Charlotte area. You've got Household of Faith launching a campus as well down in, um, in uh, I think that says California, but I think it's actually in Louisiana, if I'm being honest with you, but um, we, can, we can fact check that later. But then we've got two, if, if, so our founding pastor, my dad, Greg Surratt, he is the president of the ARC, and so he oversees all the ministry that happens, but one of his areas of focus right now is getting ARC going in other cu countries. We've got it in England and Ireland, and uh, we've got it in South Africa, Australia, but we launched two ARC churches overseas. One of them is Bridge City Church, which is in Japan, and then Seoul City Church in Kuala Lumpur. So let's give God a hand for what he's doing, planting churches all over the world. Very, very cool. Well, hey, uh, it's Kids Coast Takeover Weekend, and we began to plan and brainstorm and thought, what would be the best opportunity? Who could we bring in to kind of give us a great message about championing the next generation? And, and I don't know about you, but it, when I was a kid, one of the most influential people in my, lives, in my life was one of my coaches. Uh, if you played sports, we had football coaches that would call you to the next level and speak things into you that maybe you didn't even see in yourself. A, a great coach can help you go a long way in life. And so I'm excited to introduce you to our guest, our friend this weekend. And I could introduce you to him as, as Dr. Tom Mullins because he's got that degree and man, he's written books, he's incredibly educated, great, great man, great businessman. I could introduce you to uh, him as Pastor Tom Mullins because he pastors, he founded one of the great churches in America. It's Christ Fellowship down in Palm Beach, gardens and they've got campuses all over South Florida and one of the top five in size churches in the United States is just doing an incredible, incredible job down there. But I'm gonna introduce you to him as, as Coach Tom Mullins because before he planted a church, he was a football coach. Uh, he coached high school and at the college level as well. He was actually an athletic director for seven years at the college level as well. And man, he is going to bring a word that's gonna fire us up, motivate us and call out the champion within us. So would you, I've told him about Seacoast, I've told him about Charleston, I've told him how friendly we are and how great we are. Would you help him feel at home? Because he really is, he's part of our family. Would you stand to your feet and welcome Coach Tom Mullins as he brings a word with us? Thank you, Josh. Hey, Seacoast. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. God bless you. Grab a seat. Welcome everyone joining us, all of our campuses and all of you joining online. I hope my sweetheart's online right now. Baby, I love you. I'll be home later today. So arms open to receive your man. Um, 
I love Seacoast Church. I feel like Christ Fellowship, we're just like a southern branch of Seacoast. You know, we, we have such a kindred spirit and we minister together. Your founding pastor, uh, Pastor Greg Sherrod, has been a dear friend of mine for many years and we partner in ministry. And I'm gonna tell you something, Seacoast. You guys are impacting the church world both nationally and globally in what you're doing. So keep up the great work, keep supporting that work. And I'm excited too about Josh coming along as your lead pastor and Lisa. You know, several years ago, uh, we're very similar because of Christ Fellowship. My son now is the lead pastor and I'm the founding pastor. So, you know, we passed that baton back several years ago and the church has doubled since I passed the baton. So I'm going, so like, why didn't I pass it sooner? Come on, you know, I'm gonna, you know, let's get this thing moving. But it's exciting to see what God is doing at Seacoast. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to be here this weekend on the Say Yes weekend. Saying yes to being willing to invest in the next generation and call the champions out in them. I got a phone call that actually startled me a little bit about four years ago. I got this phone call and it was from my high school graduating class secretary. I went to high school just north of Cincinnati, Ohio, where I grew up. And, um, but I've lived in the South ever since then. So, you know, they, they don't know how to make sweet tea up there and they don't have Krispy Kreme donuts, so come on. So anyways, um, so I got this phone call. She said, we're having our 50th reunion and we need you to be there. I'm saying, it can't be 50 years. I'm not that old. I was in total denial. I said, there's no way it's been 50 years since I graduated from high school. She said, yes, it has been, Tom, and we need you there. I said, well, I can't come. I've got speaking engagements. I've got travel engagements. I'm traveling around the world speaking. I can't come. She called me again the next week. She said, you have to be there, Tom. You were the president of our class. The president needs to be there for the 50th reunion. You were the captain of the football team. You need to be there for the 50th reunion. I said, I can't come. There's no way I can make it. My schedule's too hectic. I didn't want to travel 1,100 miles up there. I didn't know anyone up there. I had no family living up there anymore, and I'd moved them all to Florida. So I wasn't going to go. Lo and behold, she calls me again the next week. My secretary says she's on there again. I said, I don't want to talk to her. I said, get rid of her somehow. She said, no, you have to take this call. She has something very special to tell you. I said, oh gosh, okay, what is it? I said, I got the call. Hello, she said, Tom, you have to come. Coach Young is going to be there and he wants to see you. Coach Young was my high school football coach. He wants to see me. I said, I'll be there. <laughs> so I traveled up to Ohio, to Cincinnati, and my cousin picked me up. We drove up outside of Hamilton, Ohio, and, and we went to this little country club, and we pull up this country club, and I look, and I'm startled by what I see standing outside the country club. It looked like a nursing home bus had dropped these people off. <laughs> and, and I mean, all these old people are standing around there, and they're in walkers and canes, and, and there's this one guy over there, he's got an oxygen tank with him and smoking a cigarette. I mean, come on. What are you doing to blow yourself up with a, a smoking a cigarette? And I, and I looked at my cousin, I said, who are those people? Who, who are those people? And he said, that's our class. I went, I went oh, you, I did not want to get out of the car. I could not believe it. I'm going to tell you one thing. Those Ohio winters have been hard on those people. Praise God. We live in the South where it's not like that. Hell, oh my goodness gracious. Woo. They were on beef it up programs. That's all I got to say. They were, they were beefed up. And so I'm looking around. I won't get out of the car. And I'm looking for him and I see him. He's standing over there. My coach, Coach Young. He's in his 80s now. He looked better than my graduating class. And, and so I got out of the car and I ran right to coach. I went up to coach, I grabbed him and I started to cry. I hugged him and I said, coach, 
I love you. Why did I go all that way for him? Because when I was 16 years old, walking out on the field, my junior year to summer two-a-days practice was beginning, he called me over. He said, Mullins, come here. I went over. He looked at me and said, Mullins, you have the potential to play at the next level. You know what that means to a young boy when somebody says that to them? I don't care what sports you played, you've had a desire to play at the next level. No one in my family ever played at the next level. No one in my family ever been to college. And now my coach is looking at me and saying, you can play at the next level? And he said, I want you to work hard this year because we're going to start looking at you. And you work hard. You put out the maximum effort. I'm going to work hard for you. And he did. And I played my senior year, and I had multiple offers to go to college. Went on and played college ball then became a college football coach, high school football coach, and a college athletic director. And the reason I dropped everything and traveled 1,100 miles to see a man I hadn't seen for 50 years, because that man called the champion out in me. Every one of us, we're longing for somebody to call that champion out in us. We want someone to look at us and see the potential in us to speak that potential over us and to call that potential out in us. Everyone, we're wired that way. We're all wired. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you are wired for affirmation. God created you, you were created by God and for God, and it's interesting that a lot is revealed about the power of affirmation even when God spoke to Jesus. You remember in Mark chapter one, verse 11, Jesus goes down to the, to the river to be baptized by John the Baptist, and after he was baptized and came out, remember the heavens parted, a dove descended, and the voice of God was heard by all. This is my son, whom I love and am well pleased. Wow. If Jesus needed that affirmation, how much more do we need it? It's wired into our DNA. Every one of us long for that. There's power in that. When someone believes in you and sees the best in you and calls that out in you. Look, look what Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians. I love this verse. So he said, listen, so speak encouraging words to one another. Don't you like people that have an encouraging word for you? I mean, because we're so tired of, I'm so tired of criticism. Everywhere we turn, we, we live in a, a culture today that just the accent on criticism is so profound, it's, it's, it just frustrates me. I'm just frustrated by it. It's hard to watch anything or listen to anything because we look for the flaws in each other and that's where we want to accent. That's where we want to focus. But in the kingdom, we are called to be different. We don't tear down, we build up, amen? Look what Ephesians says. This is a powerful verse. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Let's stop right there. Jesus, forgive us all, for we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I heard a big hearty, amen. that was a weak amen. And a hearty, amen. come on. <laughs> and, but only what is helpful for building others up. So don't let unwholesome talk come out, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Isn't it amazing that the most of the time we're talking, we're talking from a perspective of we want to make our point. We've got something we want to share. We've got a perspective we want to get out there. Or we want to make a correction in someone else. But the scriptures say, 
The focus should be just the opposite. We should be focusing on the person we're talking to. What can I say to build them up? How can I help them? How can I encourage them? How can I strengthen them? How can I protect them? What can I do that's gonna help them? You know, that's, that's how we're wired. We're wired that way. God made us that way. And God wants us to stand out different because we speak words of encouragement. God sent Jesus to call the champion out in all of us. And Jesus declared it in John 10, 10. I want you to look at this verse. Now, I'm coaching, I'm coaching. I'm translating the New Testament in the coach's translation. I, I like to put coaching words in, 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 the, in the text. Now, it's taken me a long time because I'm going one verse at a time as I read them. Here we go. Look at John 10, 10. It's coach's translation. I have come so that you can live the champion's life, a victorious and rewarding life. You know, I've come, you might have life and have it abundantly, you know, Jesus said. That's the call of God. And, and then he goes on and turns right around it in Matthew 5, 16 and says this. I want you to live a life that literally attracts people, that draws people to you so that you can lead them to me. In other words, let your light so shine, men will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Live an attractive life. Live a life that draws. Light draws. You just turn it on at night and it draws every bug in the neighborhood. It comes flying that light, right? Light is attractive. We are to live lives that are attractive, that draw people to us because they're looking for the source that we have found in Christ so we can lead them to him. And I'll tell you what's attractive. A life that is authentic, transparent, encouraging, and affirming. My grandfather lived that kind of a life. I was very blessed uh, to have a, a, a grandpa who uh, always looked for the best in people. He, he, he taught me this lesson. He says, son, always look for the best in people. Try to always speak the best about people and always try to do your best for people. That's a pretty good model for life, isn't it? Look for the best, speak the best, and give your best. Look for the best. Speak your best and give your best. That's why people were drawn to him. He'd walk in a room and people who knew him would lean into him. They literally lean into him with a little smile on their face. Why? Because they knew he's gonna have a word of encouragement or affirmation for them. Now you watch people that are negative when they walk in the room, here's what people do. They draw back and a frown comes going, oh Lord Jesus, help us. One night I was playing football in, uh, in high school and I ran for five touchdowns and, 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 and rushed for 276 yards. That's a pretty good night, P pretty good night. And, and so I went over after the, the game was over to my dad and I just went up like a little puppy dog wanting him to pet me and say good game and he couldn't. No, he started criticizing me for plays I should have done, a tackle I missed and well, if you'd cut this way, you would have gotten even more yards and you scored another touchdown and boom, boom. He could not say, he could not say good game son. He, just, he didn't know how to say good game son. He didn't know how to affirm anything. His, his family was that way. Their theme song was the old theme song of Hee Haw. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. I mean, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. I mean, that was their theme song. If you said something positive about somebody, they would have to counteract it with something negative. They just couldn't stand it. And in their terms, this is an old Southern term, you'll, you'll recognize that here in South Carolina. Everybody was sorry. Oh, he's sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, he's sorry. Well, what about him, Dad? Oh, he's sorry. Everybody's sorry. I'm sorry, everybody's sorry, we're all sorry. I'm going, Dad, come on. 
Say an encouraging word. You know, I, 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 when we used to go to his family, I'd cry as a boy. I didn't want to be around the family because it was just a negative environment. Praise God for my mother's side of the family. Her side of the family's theme song was, you know it, sing it with me. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine heading my way. Come on. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay. Oh, Mr. Bluebird on my shoulder. Anyway, so, so where do you think I was attracted? Whoop, I went to Iowa with Grandpa Steenburgen. Boom, I said, come on, Grandpa. He said, oh, Tommy, Tommy, God loves you so much. I love you so much. You're such a great young man. God's got his hand on you. He's going to do so many great things through you and in you. You're going to be a leader. You're going to be a leader of leaders. Now, he'd speak over me all the time, all the time, all the time, reinforcing, reinforcing positive things. So where do you think I went? I went leaning right towards him. And I slowly but surely grew into the things he spoke over me. I heard a great statement the other day. Write this one down. Text this one out. Tweet this or whatever you, Twitter or whatever it's called. <laughs> I barely know how to turn my phone on. Anyways, but I don't have a flip phone. At least I've gone beyond flip phone. I do have an iPhone. Don't know how to run it very well, but I have an iPhone. But anyways, here's the statement. People grow into the conversations around them. People grow into the conversations around them. You think about it. If the conversations around you are positive, you, you glean and you go towards that. If they're negative, it begins to cast a negative shadow on us. So I think part of the problem for my father was he had a crisis identity. He, he didn't really know who he was. He, no one had ever affirmed him, so he didn't know how to affirm. He came from a family of negative people that they were hardworking, but they were negative how they saw life, and he didn't know the Lord. Bless his heart, right before he died, he got saved. My son led him to Christ. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. He's gonna say, son, good game, good game. I'm waiting for him to say, good game. But I tell you what, when we discover who we are in Christ, it changes everything. It changes how we see ourselves, and then that changes how we see others. Because here's what I know. You cannot call the champion out in others if you don't first see the champion within yourself. Think about it. We are children of the Most High King. We are the masterpiece of God. He sent Christ to die on the cross to save us from our sins because we were so valued in heaven. And now we are joint heirs with Christ. Now we have been given this great inheritance. We, we, are, we are a chosen, unique individual in his sight, and we need to understand that. I tell people all the time, you'll never know who you truly are until you really discover that in your relationship with Christ. That is where your identity is revealed. It's in Christ and Christ alone. One of my great stories I love in the Old Testament is a book in Judges chapter six, the story of Gideon. For you that know the story, it's a great story. Gideon was a tribe of Manasseh and he considered himself to be of the weakest tribe of all the 12 tribes. They were not one of the warring tribes, you know, like Judah was the great warring tribe. And, and then in each tribe, there were clans. And he was of the least clan, the smallest, least important clan of the tribe. And then his family was considered to be the least family of that clan. So you got the least of the least of the least. And so the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon one day and says, Gideon, 
you mighty man of valor, you powerful warrior. And Gideon's looking around like, like who in the world is he talking about? <laughs> and, and the angel says, you're going to raise up an army and go defend Israel and strike down the enemy and drive them out of the land and bring freedom to a nation. He said, wait, 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 don't, don't you know? I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. Don't you know that our clan's the weakest one? Don't you know that our family's the weakest family in the clan? And by the way, I am the weakest member of the family. So there's no way I can do this. Isn't that amazing? And, but but when, he, when he finally surrendered to the Lord, the Lord called the champion out in Gideon. Gideon led the troops to victory, drove the enemy out of the land, and became a great national hero. He became the great mighty warrior God saw in him when he saw himself as the least of the least of the least. There's a great quote by uh, Neil Anderson uh, that says this, the more you reaffirm who you are in Christ, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your true identity. Think about that. The way we see ourselves affects the way we see others. We need to start to understand who we are. In the innocent, God said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as what? As you love yourself. That's hard for some of us because of some of our past and some of our struggles and some of our failures. And the enemy of our soul wants us to focus on that instead of focusing on the new creation we are in Christ. And the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I'm new in Christ. I want my life to be reflective of being that new person in Christ. Because there's one thing I know. We're all called not only be a champion, but to call the champion out in others' lives. That's why I love this weekend about Say Yes here at Seacoast, where we have a chance to invest in the lives of others. I am so thankful in the little church I grew up in that the men had caught this from my grandfather. He was the pastor of, of our little church, and he challenged us all the time to be people of encouragement, people that bring honor, people that help others fulfill and find their potential. And all the men of the church used to speak positive things over me. So I loved going to church. I got affirmed at church. I, I was loved at church. We had men even working in our children's ministry at our church. Men, by the way, we think the women should run the children's ministry. I, I disagree. Men, we need to step up and go in there and partner with our, our families because you know what? There's a lot of children that do not have a strong male role model in their life, and you need to become that, men. Now, don't work in the nursery because we can't change diapers, but get where you can, you know, we're, we're not diaper changers. I'm sorry, but I know the new generation, they change diapers. My generation, we didn't have throwaway. We had to wash them out. Does anybody remember those old diaper days? So, oh, my goodness. I can smell it right now. Oh, shoot, Jesus, help me. But men, you are needed. So I'm a coach, so let me give you three simple thoughts on how to really make the turn and become a, establish a life that affirms, a life that really recognizes the champion in others and calls it out in others, okay? Because that's what God has called us to do and challenged us to do. Simple one, first one is this. You've got to discipline your thought life. You've got to discipline your thought life because it, it's in the thought life the way you perceive life, the way you perceive others, and that's based on the way you perceive yourself. That's why we've got to be in the Word 
and the word's got to be in us because it's transformational. I, anytime my mind starts to go to the negative side of something or to the critical side of something, I take those thoughts captive and make them subject to Christ by flushing them out with words of scripture or songs of praise. That's one of my own internal disciplines I do because it's easy to see the faults and failures in others. That's like for any of you guys that play golf. It's so easy to see that the breakdown in the swing of the other guy you're playing with. But man, if you could see yours, you would say, I'm giving this game up. You know, I'm just, I, I'm not gonna play this game anymore. You know, I'm a coach, so I'm trained to look at every little thing to see how you're doing and how you're functioning, how you're executing that play so that I can help you get better. We're, but it's like we're all trained to look at the critical side, but at Lord, I said, I wanna start looking for the, the best in that person. I wanna look for the potential in there, Lord. And I know some of them got it hidden pretty deep, but I know what's in there. I know what's in there. I love this verse of scripture in Philippians 4, 8. This is a great one. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. I love that. <laughs> if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As we allow our mind to meditate on those things, guess what? Our speech follows. Our speech is directly related to where our focus is. So if you're focusing on the negative, you'll speak negative. If you're focused on the positive, you'll speak positive. If you're looking for potential, it's amazing what will happen. You'll start speaking that potential over others. Here's a second simple one. Hang with affirmers. Hang out with people that affirm. You may say, well, I don't have my family affirmed. And I, matter of fact, I'm married to somebody, the most negative person in the world. Don't look at them. Don't look at them right now. Just... Don't look at him. Don't look at him. In one of the previous services, I, I made that comment, and the wife, she turned right around and shook her finger, and I'm going, oh, bless his heart. Anyways, so <laughs> get out as a couple with some other couples that are positive people and affirmers. That every time we come to church, we're getting affirmed here. This is a place of affirmation because we're, we're being called up to who we are as sons and daughters of God in the house worship. Every time you get in your life groups, every time you get in ministry settings, man, you want to know, know the most positive place in the church? It's with the kids, kids coast. It's off the charts. We're in there just, you know, we're, we're in there doing everything we can to help these kids get excited about Jesus. If we don't rescue the emerging generations, they're gonna be destroyed by the world's culture. We're under attack, man. We gotta get frontline troops that are ready to go in there. We gotta get after it, and we gotta start as young as we can helping them find that this life in Christ is the life and attractive for them, amen? We gotta get after it. I've learned that who you hang with influences everything, your tone, your language, your, your things you do. Now, I'm a football coach, so I don't use the term, hey, baby, much. I mean, that's, that's not a football coach, it's hey, baby. John Maxwell, a lot of you might know John, a great leadership trainer and guru, and he started a ministry called Equip, and I've traveled with John around the world, and several years ago, I was traveling with John in Europe, and I've been away for almost two weeks with John. Now, John has this term, hey, baby. He calls everybody baby. He'll call me up on the phone and say, hey, baby, what's up? You know, that's, just, that's the way John is. So I'm with, him for, I'm with him for two weeks over there. I come back, we're in construction. By the way, Christ Fellowship is always in construction. I tell our people at Christ Fellowship, if you don't like construction, building programs and fundraising, don't come to Christ Fellowship because we're gonna be building until Jesus returns and says, okay, I got it now, boys. Stop building, okay? So, so we're in this building program and uh, 
I, I walk onto the construction site and I got my hard hat on and this big old steel worker, he's, he's like an offensive lineman built. He's about 6'3", about 300, and he's got a big old pair of suspenders on his big old belly and he's walking through there and he's, and he, he's, he's the head boss. I knew, he, I, I knew him from before and I walked up to him and I said, hey baby. <laughs> I said, hey. he looked at me like, you're calling me, hey, what's wrong with you? And I realized, I said, hey, man, <laughs> how, how you doing? Uh, I didn't right here, I'm saying, hey, baby. I can't stop saying it now. Everywhere I go, hey, baby, what's up? Hey, baby, I, I'm going to tell the stranger, hey, baby, what's up? You know, and John's affected me. Who you hang with affects you. It has huge impact on you. The scripture says, walk with the wise, you'll grow wise. You hang out with fools, you'll suffer harm. We pick up the traits of people around. I want to pick up traits of affirmers. I want to hang out with affirmers. I want to be intentional affirmers. I, 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 want to, I want to get wherever I can with other affirmers. When I was in college and, uh, and I, I left to go play, I thought I was, I thought I was pretty good. I, I, I was first team All-State in Ohio and had some honorable mention, All-American honors, and I thought I was tough stuff. And I go off to college, and this is back in the 60s, and... I didn't realize there's a difference in hitting a 250-pound boy in high school and you hit a 295-pound man who just came out of the jungles of Vietnam, okay? Some of these guys that served a tour of duty in Vietnam had come out, strange looks in their eyes. And then there was this unwritten code where I went to college, kill all freshmen on sight. So freshmen, we, we were just blow us up, take us out, destroy us on any opportunity you have. They never talked to us. They wouldn't eat with us. We weren't in the same locker room with them. They used us as, as just dummies out on the field. They would run over us and destroy us and kick us and bite us. And it was horrible, horrible. I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. <laughs> and, um, so, and then they wouldn't give us any water. Back in those days, if you guys had played way back, you remember the only thing they gave us was a salt tablet. Remember that, guys? All they give is just salt tablet. Like a salt tablet's gonna cure everything. They thought, a coach thought athletic tape and a salt tablet will cure cancer or anything else you got. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and then every once in a while, rarely, they would bring out water and they'd bring it in a bucket. A bucket. They brought it out in a bucket with a towel in the bucket. And you guys understand this term from the South. Yankees don't understand this term. You come up and the guys would grab it and sup water out of it. <laughs> throw it back down in the towel back down. Now, after all those lime with their nasty hands and mud and blood and everything else and them sucking on that thing and throwing in there and by the time we freshmen were allowed to get to it, a fly wouldn't land on that bucket. I mean, <laughs> that, 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 thing was, that thing was bad. That thing was bad. A fly wouldn't land on that bucket. And, and I'm going, oh my goodness. So, but I got to admit to you, I learned something. Desperate people will do desperate things. And I went in. And it made me even more sick to my stomach. And I remember that one day we, we were going, we, we would lose eight to 10 pounds of, of water weight in a two-hour practice. And, 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 and I was so dehydrated, I'd thrown up everything I'd eaten for days. And I was almost, I was so delirious a little bit in the mind. I'm, I couldn't hardly stand up. And I'm like this, and I'm going, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just exhausted. And at the point of exhaustion, the coaches would blow the whistle and go, line up for a wind sprints. We had to run these 40-yard wind sprints at the end for conditioning. And I, there's no way I could run this wind sprint. 
Oh, they've been dragging people off in body bags all day. I mean, I've saw more guys go off. They're dragging off. One guy, they dragged him off by his heels and took him down these steps. Literally, it's no joke. He had his helmet on, but he goes down the stairs, clunk, 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 clunk. Every step of his head is just boom, boom. He's totally out. And I'm realizing I, I may not make it. I, from my first thought ever hit me that I may have to quit. I'm not even going to make it. About that time, the senior All-American running back, his name was Charlie Pell, he came walking by me to line up for wind sprints, and he said, hey, rookie. I didn't know he knew my name. <laughs> he said, hey, rookie, run with me. Well, see, upper class never spoke to you. It's the first time he had spoken to me. I got over by Charlie, and where he lined up, I got down beside him, and I drafted off of him. Every, I, I just got in a rhythm with him, and somehow I made it through, and I jogged back with him, got in line with him, dragging him. He got me through that practice. Guess where I was every practice after that for every drill? Where's Char oh, Charlie's over here? Okay. <laughs> hey, man, hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> it matters who you hang with. He got me through that practice. He got me through the summer two-a-days, and I was the only freshman that year to actually make the varsity team and by the second game into the season, I was starting on that varsity team, and I was ready to quit until Charlie said, hey, rookie, run with me. See, we need some people that will walk up and say, hey, rookie, run with me. We need some people that will say, you know what? I'm gonna help you make it through this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you through this. We need some Charlies to step up. We really do. I don't know what the female version of Charlie is. We need some Charlottes to step up, whatever that is. You know, we need you to step up because there are a lot of people out there at all levels that are gasping for air. They're just barely holding on. They don't know if they're going to make it. They need someone to come up and say, hey, hey, rookie, run with me. And finally, this real quick, stay on mission. We've got to stay on mission. No matter where we are, we've got to think missionally. We've we got to be missionally-minded people. I am an ambassador of the Most High King. I am on mission. Everywhere I look, every encounter I have is a potential encounter for me to shine the light of Christ on them, to love on them, to add value to them in such a way that I can gain influence and help lead them to Christ. I am on mission. I am the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I make things better and brighter wherever I go. Salt makes everything better. My wife says, use more pepper. I said, honey, I like salt. I hit it hard with the salt. I was raised on salt tablets in football. I love salt. <laughs> she says, it's not good for you. It's not good for you. I said, baby, the Bible says we are the salt of the earth. It doesn't say anything about pepper. So I, I use the scripture. <laughs> use the scripture. But you know what makes things there? Oh, you know, there's nothing like some fresh, cold watermelon. And do you want to take it up a notch? Get the salt out and hit that watermelon with some salt. Talk to me now. Come on. Woo! Corn on the cob, fresh with that butter melting all over it. You're not going to hit it with salt? Oh, man, hit that thing with salt. Boom, it pops off. It almost jumps off the kernel in your mouth. That's what I'm talking about. That's us. That's us. That's who we're called to be, salt, light. Things pop off. Tastes better. Life's better. That's who we're called to be. Sometimes the champions we're calling out come in the most unlikely packages. So don't judge the old book by its cover, man. Just look for that champion and call it out.
All right, real quick, I'm gonna tell you one final football story. Um, I, I took over a team in, uh, in Florida. It was a new high school. They'd only had about four years of football. So they never, they had one season, they won four games, and they only had like 20-some players out in their football program. Well, why are they gonna hire a rookie out of, out of college to, to be the head coach anyways, unless it was a losing program? So they hired me. So I started recruiting. Man, I'm going out. I'm preaching to local churches. I'm doing everything. I'm, I'm going to come out for the team. I have a no-cut policy. You work hard. You'll make team. You'll dress for the game. Boom, boom. To my surprise, I had 100 guys show up for tryout. So, man, I'm lining them up according to the most athletic-looking guys all the way down through to make sure I got good equipment for them and came down to the very last player. And his name was Carl Pierce. I'll never forget this kid. And... Uh, he looked just like this. <laughs> this might be a little bulky for Carl. I'm not sure. This, this was Carl right here. So Carl walks up to me, and, and I, said, I said to Carl, I said, Carl, so, uh, so what position are you going to play? He said, I'm going to be a wide receiver, coach. I said, okay. We got any wide receiver pads. Bring them in. They said, no, coach, we haven't got any more of those pads. We had to use the varsity pads, university pads, freshman pads. We were borrowing pads from the Pee Wee League. We, we were out of pads. I said, bring whatever you got. Well, they had one pair of shoulder pads. They brought them out. Well, there had been this defensive lineman who played the year before. He weighed over 300 pounds, and he had a big old shoulder pads like this, and I put them down on Carl's little narrow shoulders, and they fell off his shoulders, and he stuck his arm up through the neck hole of the shoulder pad like this. He said, I think these are a little big, coach. I said, no, we'll make them fit, son. So we got some towels and we taped them under here, but you could spin the shoulder pads around on his shoulders. I mean, there's no way, you know. So I said, I looked at his little old head and I said, boy, I don't know what size that is. And I said, hey, we got a helmet left. Yeah, we got one, bring it out. It was the helmet to fit the guy that wore the shoulder pads. A big old head. I put that on Carl and, and, and he looked like a bobble doll. When he would run, the helmet, this is no joke, First practice, he runs out on the field. He's running out on the field, and the helmet turns sideways, and his nose is sticking out the ear hole of the helmet. We put triple cheek pads, and we took socks, stuffed socks up in, in okay? Well, there's only one pair of pants left. Both his legs fit down one leg of those pants. We didn't have any belts. We took a shoestring, tied it up. When he went out for his first, uh, first practice, he went out and did a jumping jack, and his pants fell down. So he had to hold his pants and try to do one-arm jumping jacks and hold his pants. He couldn't do anything in practice except hold the dummy and hold his pants. But I told everybody, if you, if, if you, if you come, you got a good attitude and you work hard, you'll dress for the game. So it came first game. What am I going to do with Carl? So I went to Carl. I said, son, now I want you to stay in the back of the line. When we come out to do our warm-ups, I want you to come over to this side of the field and just stand there. Don't move. Okay, coach. So Carl's over there standing there, holding his pants. We're all doing our drills and stuff. Then he goes on the sideline. Well, we won our first game. We won our second game. We won our third game. We won our fourth game. We've now tied a school record. We're 4-0. We're playing our fifth game against a ranked team in the, in the state, and this team comes in, and they're leading the whole game with about two minutes to go. We score the go-ahead touchdown. All we gotta do, kick the ball off, hold them for until the clock runs out, and we are now gonna be 5-0, and and I'm thinking, we're going to state, baby. We're gonna be awesome. We're gonna be state champions. I'm fired up, my first year of coaching. I'm going crazy. So we get the kickoff team out there, and a guy named War Caesar Jakes, 
built like Atlas. He was built like a god. I mean, he just boom, and he big old guy, and he, he played at Florida State, and he's my, he was my linebacker coach and special teams coach, and I look out on the field, and there's only 10 guys on the field for the kickoff, and I go, war, get somebody on the field. We got time out, time out, and the referee says, you have no more timeouts, and I said, get somebody out there. I kind of hit him a little bit. Like, we used to hit people back when I coached. Anyways. <laughs> Remember, I wasn't a pastor, I was a coach. We, we just, there's little love taps, you know, like boom, boom, little things like that, just to get their attention. And so, I, here I'm pounding on war, I got a pound up here on war. And so, war, without thinking, turns and grabs the first player standing beside him and throws him out onto the field. And there went Carl Pierce, out on the field, holding his pants. I don't know that he knew which way to line up or where to run. He's never run a play. He's never been on a field. It's my worst nightmare. I'm going, oh, Jesus help us. What are we doing here? And they blow the whistle. Well, he took off running in the right direction, hallelujah. <laughs> I turned and looked at War Caesar. Next thing I know, there's this big collision down about 25-yard line. Our guys are screaming, fumble, fumble, fumble. And I'm saying, who's got the ball? Who's got the ball? Who's got the ball? And here he came. I got a coach. I got a coach. I got a coach. He's running out the field. He's holding his pants and holding the ball. My assistant coach is going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I couldn't wait to get the game films. I went and got the game films. On Saturday, and I'm watching, he ran down, and this is no joke, his helmet turned sideways. He did not see the ball carrier. The ball carrier ran into Carl and got tangled up in his pads. <laughs> and then someone, when the ball came loose, hit Carl in the back and knocked him over onto the ball. <laughs> So Monday morning, I went to class. I got a pass from the office. I took him, I took him out of class, and I, I, I immediately went, took him down to a sporting goods store, and I went into the peewee football department, and I said, son, we're going to get you pads that fit you, and I bought him everything that fit him. And then we took him out, and I said, son, I'm going to honor you for your great attitude and your heart and your spirit, and I put him on the kickoff team for the next game, for the first kickoff, between my two best athletes. I said, guys, you make sure nobody gets between you. Do you know... I discovered something really strange. Running backs were drawn to Carl. The running back ran right up the field and ran right into Carl, and Carl laid down in front of him, and he tripped over Carl. <laughs> so I kept leaving him in there, and it kept happening over and over again. At the end of the year, the, the team voted him most improved player and made him an honorary captain of the specialty teams for the next year. And the next year, we went undefeated number one in the state. And he became a champion. Carl Pierce, give it up for Carl. All right, I want you to do something for me on every campus. I want you to get up right now, hands free. Get your hands free, because I need you to use your hands. Get up, come on, all the campuses, come on. Get up, get up, get up. Campus pastors, come up on the platform at all of our campuses, come on, let's go get up. If you're watching online at home, get up, get up, get up, get up. Everybody get up. All right, now we're gonna do a little breakdown drill here. 
Here's what you do. I'm gonna holler, break down when you do. You're gonna get in fundamental position. Fundamental position, feet spread the width of your shoulders, hands out in front of you, your knee, your back straight, your knees are slightly bent. So let, let me demonstrate for you. It's like this. When I say break down, you go pop right here. Just pop it. Pop right there. Ready? Break down. Boom. Pop it. Okay. Let's go. Up one more time. Ready? Break down. Pop. I'm gonna pop. Okay. Okay, okay. Ready? Break down. Pop. Oh, that's good. That's good. Good, good, good. Now, the next thing we're gonna do, you guys getting this? Come on, you getting this? All right, let's go. So the next thing you do, you're gonna add the clap. The clap is one, two, three, one. Try that one time. Here you go. One, two, three, one. So when I say break down, you're gonna break and do the clap. One, two, three, one. Come up out of that, proclaiming the name of our champion, which is Jesus. Then I want you to turn to two people. High five them, and here's what you say to them. Say yes. Say yes. All right? Hey, come on up here. Come here, come on, come on. Come on. I need you up here with me. Come on, get up here real quick. What's your name? Will. Will, come on. Oh, Will, man, look at Will. I used to look like this when I was young. <laughs> yeah, I used to look like, okay, Will, we're gonna break down. When we get done, you're not gonna high five it, okay? We're gonna do it. We could check, you want a chest fight? Okay, well, anyway, again, here we go. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, don't, don't knock me over. All right, you guys ready? Everybody, all the campuses, you ready? Campus pastors, you ready? I'm gonna holler break down, clap, up in Jesus' name. Two people say yes. Now let's get this right. You guys get this right up there or you'll be running laps. Okay, here we go. <laughs> really, bring down. <laughs> Jesus. Say yes, baby. Say yes. 